Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We are coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Tina Quinn. In this edition, I'm joined by Australian author, journalist and pioneering feminist Anne Summers. First published in 1975, her groundbreaking work, Damned Whores and God's Police, is still in print today, and her career in journalism spans over 45 years. In 1979, Anne became the Australian Financial Review's first female political correspondent and was the editor of Good Weekend from 1993 to 1997. From 1983 to 1986, Anne ran the office of the Status of Women during Bob Hawke's prime ministership and also served as an advisor to Prime Minister Paul Keating on women's issues. For many years, Anne has lived back and forth between Australia and the United States. She was the US editor for the Australian Financial Review from 1986 to 1987 and took over as editor-in-chief of Miss Magazine from 1987 to 1989. She joins me now from New York. Anne Summers, welcome to Fourth Estate. Lovely to be with you, Tina. It's been one hell of an election year. Now, what is the current feeling where you are in in the States at the moment? Has the elation of Joe Biden's win lasted or is it a much more subdued optimism? Um, Well, I guess, you know, it's a big country and a lot of people have different different views. And as you know, the election is still not over in the sense Mm. that and not every state has certified the results, although we're nearly there. And it's, uh, you know, in, t- in, in two weeks' time, the Electoral College will meet and, um, and uh, you know, provide the final results. Um, so in, in that sense, it will be over then. I think the sense that I'm getting um, from the people that I talk to is that there is tremendous um, relief that the Biden victory is so decisive. Um, I mean, he didn't win by a little bit. He won by a lot. And Mm. although there's, you know, a ridiculous amount of media attention still directed at Trump, uh, which I think is extremely uh, damaging, I think the media should have a good hard look at itself about its role here. Uh, In fact, um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have won at last count. and, And let's, you know, the votes still aren't all counted, amazingly enough. In New York, they still haven't you know, finished counting. Um, so already they have 81 million votes and it's likely to grow a little bit uh, more than that and a margin of around 6.5 million. So this will be you know, the largest gross vote that a, a president um, of the United States has ever won, ever. And the margin, I think, is going to be, if not the largest, certainly you know, up there among the large ones. So... The, the victory is decisive and that's very important. I think the other thing that people are very, um, you know, there's a little bit of discussion about the appointees as they're being, um, you know, the nominees for jobs and appointees as they're being rolled out. There's discussion and there's, um, you know, arguments about some of them and there's, um, you know, the normal argy-bargy about representation. But I think overall there's tremendous uh, relief that government is back that the team that Biden and Harris are putting together is a team of professionals, a team of experts. Um, after the you know the clowns that we've had running things for the last four years, there's a sense of, of relief that uh, uh, it's possible to restore government. I think if there'd been a further four years of Trump, that may well be um, a question as to whether whether or that could that whether or not that could ever have happened again. But clearly. Um, Biden not only has an extraordinarily talented 
team, um, which is obviously points to the fact that so many people were, you know, willing to work for him and have, uh, have been willing to, um, to to put their names up or to be to be um, you know willing to accept his drafting by him, and so that's made people feel very reassured. I think um, that the fact that there will be finally, oh, it's a pity we have to wait another two months, but. <laughs> Finally, there will be competent leadership when it, comes, when it comes to managing the coronavirus, which, as you know, is completely out of control in this country, mm-hmm. and the economy, which is also uh, pretty much in free fall. It, it, it seems extraordinary that it, you have to wait two months for that transition of power to, to take place. It's you know very different to what we we have here in Australia. Um, you mention you've mentioned obviously the fantastic team that that Biden is assembling. Now I'd, I'd love to go through some of these appointments with you. The future is indeed looking very female. Uh, he has announced he will nominate Janet Yellen as his new Secretary of the Treasury, and mm-hmm. she would be the first female to hold the position. Um, first of all, how do you think this role is going? Uh, how important do you think this role is going to be during this administration, given the economic situation, as you've just referenced? Oh, critical. Absolutely critical. I mean, of the, the, um, you know, it used to be said that the four top jobs in, in the US government were, you know, Treasury, Justice, uh, Defence and, um, and State, so, you know, Diplomacy, uh, Defence, um, the Administration of Justice and the, and the Management of the Economy. That's you know, possibly expanded now to include homeland security, but I mean, certainly the uh, treasury is one of always has been, and, and now I think will assume even greater significance. And there's no doubt that uh, the way in which Biden has, you know, when he made the announcements in Delaware yesterday, and he gave a very interesting speech, and he started off by saying, uh, you know, when it comes to the economy, you know, the economic ravaging that has occurred in, in the United States. Help is on its way. Help is on the way, he said, and uh, he he as he announced this team, and I thought it was very interesting that he framed the um, the announcement of Janet Yellen and the, and the rest of the team uh, in terms of the way in which he expects them to respond to the coronavirus and the economy, and he's he's framing um, the coronavirus. A response as being as much an economic issue as it is a public health issue, and he'll be approaching it on those two fronts. So, you know, given the the extreme severity of the coronavirus and the fact that it's getting, you know, we've had the head of the CDC today saying the next three months in America are going to be the worst in the country's history when it comes to public health, and he expects there'll be 450,000 deaths uh, by by the time that. Uh, Biden is sworn in. So, I mean, the, the scale of the, uh, of the catastrophe that's facing Biden, you know, can't, you know, it can't be exaggerated. It's just, it is just worse than terrible. And so he is making it very clear that he expects this team to be, you know, they're not going to be there juggling, you know, monetary policy and having arcane discussions about, um, you know, things on the margin. They are there to, to solve the big problems of the day and to do it very quickly. Yeah, so it sounds to me like it will be a two-pronged approach and that the two will go very much hand-in-hand together, which is incredibly important in this time. Well, actually, it's a four-pronged approach. I mean, they're the two. He has four priorities. They're the top two. The other two are racial um, Mm. justice and climate change. So, I mean, the the four things really are integrated and uh, I expect the economic approach that that, um, Biden will want Yellen and, and her team um, to unfold will be one that, that that takes into account 
both for major um, catastrophes, if you'd like, um, of, of, of American life at the moment, and, and none can be solved without the other. Janet Yeelan's resume is incredibly impressive. Uh, she was a Federal Reserve Board governor. She worked as a top economic advisor during the second term of the Clinton White House and was nominated by President Obama as Federal Reserve Chair, uh, the first female mm. to hold this position as well. So her, her approach to the economy is, is strongly rooted in, in Keynesian economics. So based on her history, do you think her approach to handling the current recession will be one of interventionism? Well, as I just said, I mean, the framework in which um, Biden is outlining is is one in which the economy and the um, the coronavirus are sort of integrally um, um, linked and the approach that will be taken, you know, one, one, one has to be dealt with in terms of the other. So, I mean, that that's suggests intervention of, of one kind or another, but exactly what shape that's going to take. Um, you know, I think the other thing to remember about Biden is that he uh, was vice president when Obama took over in 2009 at the time of the, mm-hmm. you know, the last Great Recession, or what, what, what in Australia we call the GFC, here they call it the Great Recession, where the unemployment then was actually worse than it is at the moment uh, in the United States. And they, he, he, Biden, you know, has very um, strong memories, I think, of, of how bad that situation was and, and what they had to do to turn it around. And, you know, the components of it were different and what they were looking at there then were the banks and the auto industries. And uh, it's different now, but the same kind of urgency is going to inform him and the same kind of uh, the need to take big, bold steps um, to shift whole sectors of the economy uh, as required is something that I think that not only will he won't shy away from, but I mean, some of the team that he has put together are people who were there for that period uh, in the Obama administration, quite a few of whom, you know, are on the record as saying that they felt that Obama was too timid and that they hope that Biden might be a little braver. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if that turns out to be the case. Many feel that the incoming Biden administration will be a continuation of the Obama years, um, you know, a third Obama term, if you like. Um, what do you feel about this? And do you think that means the culture wars of, of the past will return? I don't think it's the return at all. I mean, I think people saying that are, you know, uh, lazy and, and ill-informed because, I mean, what just because <laughs> Biden was... Uh, Vice President to Obama for all those years, and and just because perhaps he's you know perhaps an unexpected president, no one really thought that he was uh, had a chance of winning until the you know the the amazing event six months ago or eight months ago in South Carolina turned everything around. Um, I think what I think a better way of looking at it is that of course Biden is drawing on a, a lot of the uh, the expertise and talent that uh, worked for the Obama. Uh, Biden administration. I mean, of course you would because you know them and those people are still around and relatively, you know, young and fresh and able to do the job. Uh, But I think you also uh, should be looking at at Biden's own life history, his own interests and his own sort of stated um, policy ambitions. And they are very different from Obama's. And I think that you're already seeing that in the way he frames uh, the announcements that he's making every day in the way he uh, frames his uh, approach to public policy. 
And uh, I think that, um, you know, we'll probably be quite surprised by some of the things that he does. Absolutely. I think yeah, I think the reason people sort of make that that statement is because they see Biden as a moderate and Obama was a moderate and I think they can, you know, they just sort of put two and two together. It doesn't always equal four. Um, Biden has also chosen to appoint an all-female communications team, which is a historic mm-hmm. first for the United States. Uh, he's also decided on Avril Haines as his director of national intelligence and Linda Thomas-Greenfield as UN ambassador. What can you tell us about some of these appointments? Well, I think, I'd, I'd, first of all, I would um, make, I'd, I've spent a bit of time this afternoon just uh, going through the appointments that have already been announced and just sort of looking at the breakdown of, of gender and, and people of colour. And uh, it's a very, very interesting um, set of appointments, I think. I mean, he's the, the four areas that he's announced so far are the economy, the economic team, uh, a six-person economic team of whom four of the six are women and three of the, of the six are people of colour, um, not necessarily women. I mean, one of them is and one of them isn't. Um, when it comes to the national security team of five people, um, two of them are women and, again, another two are people of colour. Interesting, the White House team, um, which is, you know, his, his main sort of staffing 24 people have been announced so far as White House staff. The 17 of those are women, so you know, oh a, a very, very big majority. And of those, um, seven of those are the communications team and of those, of, of the seven, of course, as you've just said, all of whom are women, um, four of whom are people of colour and uh, at least one of them, I think there are possibly two of them, are lesbian. So the, the the way in which the team is shaping up, and also if you look a bit broader at the transition team itself, which is 500 people, um, and 54% of that team, I think, are women, and 46% of them are people of colour. So if you look at the kind of um, way in which Biden has constructed the team of people to advise him, and then the team of people that he is actually appointing, you can see that he is living up to the promise that he made uh, during the campaign to give both women and people of colour and people of other, um, you know, other, other um, areas of identification um, real representation within his government, not just token representation but real representation. And we are seeing that with these women appointed to such incredibly um, high and responsible positions. It's not just putting women in charge of, you know, housing and education, which are the traditional areas where, where women... Um, have traditionally served, but um, you know Janet Yellen, um, the women in the, on the near attendant for you know, Office of Management and Budget, uh, as you say in the National Security Team, Linda Thomas Greenfield and Avril Haines, and then the Comms Team, which is um, just quite a remarkable group. So I think what this is going to mean is that. You know, the face of the Biden, and of course, not forgetting Kamala Harris, who's uh, yes. <laughs> uh, the vice president, um, who is a woman um, and a woman who's got both Asian ancestry and also um, African-American descendancy. Um, so we, what, what this is all going to mean is that the, the face of the Biden-Harris administration is going to be a very, very different from what we've been accustomed to in any previous government, even the Obama government did not have anything like this number of women, um, and certainly under Trump, uh, well, we, you know, not even worth talking about. But <coughs> excuse me, I think it's a very um, important 
um, statement that 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 Biden is making, not just about um, you know, well, I think it is. Sorry, I think the statement that Biden is making uh, with the shape of these appointments is that he understands that his government must look like America, as he likes to put it, uh, in all its diversity, uh, not just gender. Although that gender obviously is is a very very important part of that, and I think that's going to influence policy in ways that we haven't been haven't seen before, and the fact that all of the communications from both the White House. Um, from the presidency and from the vice presidency are going to all be uh, communicated by women and um, in, in several cases by women of colour, African-American women. Um, Kamala Harris's press secretary is a, is a black woman um, and the deputy um, uh, press secretary for the White House is, um, uh, is Karine Jean-Pierre. She's the, the uh, deputy press secretary to the White House. So. Having these women um, with all their diversity being the ones who tell us what the government is doing and who are the face of the government and who answer the questions about the government, when you compare that with uh, what we have at the moment and what we've had for the past four years, I think we're going to see um, not just a level of diversity, um, which is going to be very heartening, but also a level of competence and a level of um, I don't want to use the word empathy because that's a bit overworked and a bit sort of meaningless, but just a, word, a level of comprehension, I think, of the complexity of the issues that government is dealing with and the fact that the uh, the responses are, you know, ones that live up to the, the depths of the problems. Well, it, it seems like they've actually really listened to the social movements that have happened over the last number of years during the Trump administration, the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matters protests earlier this year. So it's it's really exciting to see that level of diversity. Revolutionary. It's never happened before. No. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see how it all works out. One appointment that is proving quite controversial, and I know you, you just briefly mentioned her there, uh, was Biden's pick for the Director of Office Management and Budget, Neera Tanden. She currently heads up a progressive US think tank and, and she served in the Obama White House, but she is probably best known as a Clinton loyalist and she's quite close with Hillary and in particular. She worked on Hillary's 2000 Senate campaign, her 2008 primary campaign for the Democratic nomination and her 2016 presidential election bid. So why is she attracting the ire of both the right and the left? Well, because she dishes it out. I mean, she's very, very forceful. <laughs> Uh, presence on Twitter and has been for the last four years, and she uh, she serves it up. And I think she it, it was reported this week she deleted a thousand tweets the night before <laughs> last, uh, probably figuring out that you know all the abuse she's hurled at the senators over the years is not going to be helpful. <laughs> she wants these guys to to approve her um, her nomination. Um, I mean, you know, the, the the left don't like her, the Bernie people don't like her because she was very opposed to mm. to Bernie Sanders and and for his the way he treated Hillary back mm. in. Um, 2016, um, and she's she's dealt it out to the GOP senators for for, for very good reasons. So um, she's just somebody who's very outspoken, and the position that she's held, running the Center for American Progress, uh, in fact, required her to be very outspoken and to take these very um, strong positions. So I don't think she was doing anything uh, that wasn't expected of her in the job. Uh, but nevertheless, it's um, it's made her a target. I mean, the, her appointment was one that really, really surprised a lot of people, including me, I must say. 
um, I think she's terrific and I'm really glad she's been appointed, but it is kind of a, um, you know, I guess what, what Sir Humphrey would call a brave appointment or a courageous appointment. Right. Uh, she is so controversial. And, you know, there has been some unkind suggestions that maybe she has been put up as the sacrificial lamb, knowing that they won't get everybody through. They sort of throw somebody in there who's going to attract all the, the hostility and that means everybody else will slip in behind her. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, we, sh- we shall see. But but it, there is certainly going to be a lot of, um, of sparks around uh, that confirmation process, I would think. How strange that an outspoken woman uh, proves polarising to uh, to the greater public, <laughs> um, mm. as, as usual. Of, of course, the most groundbreaking and exciting appointment, as we've spoken about, by Biden was made months ago um, when he chose Kamala Harris as his running mate for vice president. Much was obviously made of the possibility that Hillary Clinton would have been the first female president. But the truth is, we've seen it depicted in film and women like Geraldine Ferraro and, and Sarah Palin came close. But this will actually be the first time that the United States has even had a female VP. Uh, do you think this is a tangible step towards seeing a female in the top job? Many are speculating that Biden will be a one-termer. Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Um, Sorry, I did rattle know, a bit. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a key question it's, it's, and it's one we certainly want to talk about. Uh, I mean, I think the fact that um, Kamala Harris is the third woman um, vice president on, 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 a, on, a, on, a, on a ticket, on the ticket um, She's the first woman of colour and she's the first woman to have been on a successful ticket. So um, she's way ahead of, of, of um, Geraldine Ferraro, who was the first, of course, and, and uh, Sarah Palin, who was you know, unfortunately not really a serious candidate. No. Um, Although Palin got a lot closer than Ferraro did, if you if you look at the sort of election results from well, 1984 and 08. I, I mean, I think you can say um, McCain did better, or, you know, that Mondale did better than... than um, then, then people don't vote for the vice president, they vote for the president. So mm-hmm. you know, I think you've got to be very careful with that, mm. how you look at that. But the thing is, you now she's there, she's there for the next four years, and, and that puts, you know, and she's she's quite young. She's, you know, her, her, I think she's early 50s from memory. Um, so that would, you know, supposedly position her will to run at the top of the ticket in 2024. Um as you say, Biden may well not run for a second term. I um, mean, he would be, uh, I think, 82 um, then. And But, you know, whether or not he will run again, is, you know, it's ridiculous to speculate at this time. But, even, but assuming he doesn't, um, I don't think you can assume that Kamala Harris would be uh, able to run unopposed. I mean, there will be a whole, a whole generation of young um uh, Democrats, I mean, some of whom ran this time, Pete Buttigieg, will be clearly up there trying to run. And th- there was quite a lot of speculation around the appointments as to whether or not, you know, what, what position Pete's possibly going to get in the administration and whether it's one that would uh, uh, put him in, give him too much spotlight vi- vis-a-vis um, Harris. So, you know, there are a lot of lot of things to consider. But, I mean, that's all just politics and, and, and normal politics. Uh, you can't get away from the fact that for the next four years the spotlight is going to be on Kamala Harris uh, in in that unique position that she's serving. The thing that's very interesting is that when he offered her the job, Biden said to her he wanted her to be the last person in the room. 
which was the status he had with Obama, and that is that, you know, at the end of every important meeting after everybody leaves, she stays behind and she's the last word in the president's ear before he makes his decision. So that gives her an extraordinary, not just a kind of an apprenticeship into to doing the top job, which uh, will be very, very valuable for her, uh, but it's also a great uh, sign of his uh, confidence in her, um, her judgment and, and her abilities. So she's on a very steep learning curve and, uh, um, you know, she's she's got a chance to star over the next four years and it's going to be very, very interesting to watch uh, how she plays it. But I think the fact that Biden so far, you know, is insisting that she's there for every announcement he makes, they're side by side the whole time. And tomorrow night they're giving the first ever joint interview on television. I think it's on CNN. Um, so that would be very interesting. So she's going to be, you know, have the political spotlight on her and so long as she does a good job, I think that puts her in a very good, very strong position to run. Um, the Republicans, of course, will run a woman next next against her, so it could work very well be Kamala Harris versus Nikki Haley, which would be interesting to women of Indian background. Um, mm. But, you know, four years is a long way away and anything can happen, so we, we don't know yet. Looking at her previous record, what can we expect in terms of leadership from Kamala Harris as vice president? Well, she's the vice president. I mean, she's got to um, um, do what the president wants. So, you know, the, her scope for unilateral action is is very, very limited. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what particular portfolios or areas of interest, mm. you know, she either carves out for herself or, or you know, are given to her by Biden. Um, generally, you know, a vice president gets some areas that are their specialities, and I'm sure that will happen. So let's let's see what they are. Um, you know, her background, of course, is in justice. She was a former attorney general of of uh, California, and before that, she was a, a prosecutor in, in in San Francisco. So you know that that whole area of of justice, um, at particularly at the time when racial equality and and um, Black Lives Matter and the whole issue about police brutality are such, um, you know, incredibly hot issues in the United States. I mean, her expertise and background there would be, you know, very, very valuable. So I'd imagine she'd be kind of front and centre in in that area. Um, I think, you know, the thing that's very interesting about her, she's very, very personable. She's, you know, she's terrific um, as a kind of retail politician. She's great out there with crowds and with people. People really like her and, uh, you know, she could well be the kind of the, the younger um, female face of this administration and uh, that certainly won't hurt Biden. I mean, he's not going to be jealous of her or anything like that. Um, and so she has a great uh, a great potential, I think, to, to make an important contribution provided she has the kind of policy areas uh, to concentrate on and I'm sure she will. The Senate election results have obviously been, they've obviously been quite disappointing for the Democrats. Uh, do you think this suggests that the Biden administration will be spending a lot of time compromising in the coming years? I don't think that's really the way, the way to look at it. Um, I think that the way in which the uh, congressional politics have evolved in the past few years, and particularly in the past four years, and particularly in the Senate, and particularly under the leadership, if you want to use that word, um, mm. of the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, that um, the old days of, you know, horse trading and argy-bargy and compromise are long gone. So, you know, I mean, uh, an LBJ would not survive in 
today's Senate because no. the rules are so different. They're not about reaching agreement. They're about um, absolute brutal blocking, blocking things. I mean, M McConnell has not moved a single piece of legislation from Nancy Pelosi's house in four years. And, you know, there were important bills sitting on his desk that he absolutely refuses to deal with. So the issue of compromise, unfortunately, is sort of not one that's even on the political agenda anymore. And I know that Biden, you know, made a big deal during the campaign about the fact that he, you know, because of his long, you know, very long service in the Senate, uh, would be able to work with the, the GOP and he will be able to reach agreement with them. And I think even he already has been quite shocked um, by the level of, um, of, of well, the lack of compromise, the lack of, sorry, the lack of ability to, to want to even engage, let alone uh, discuss anything. I mean, the fact that there's no um, relief package, COVID relief package um, on the table at the moment um, likely to succeed is, and, and that you have so many Americans unemployed, starving, literally, you know, without sufficient food, um, rent protection running out at the end of the year, uh, and the fact that the Senate feels absolutely no responsibility to do anything about that is, you know, we've reached a new low in, in American politics that, that we've just never seen before. So I think the, you know, unless a miracle happens and, and the two Senate seats in Georgia, the Georgia runoff elections go to the Democrats, which is probably unlikely, but if that were to happen, and that would mean that they would um, then be able to get have enough votes in the Senate to get legislation through. If that doesn't happen, I think it's going to be very, very difficult getting anything through. And so Biden is going to have to do what Trump did and what Obama did in his um, second term when he didn't when he had a hostile Senate. He's going to have to rely on executive action. Overall, how key do you think the role of women uh, were in the outcome of this election, and in particular women of colour? There's been a lot of speculation that um, women like Stacey Abrams were really able to mobilise that part of the demographic in, in, in places like Georgia. Um, well, again, that's a very big question, and, and we really know very, very little about it. I mean, well, there's an awful lot of discussion and an awful lot of speculation and not very much um, informed information that's in terms based of the on demographics yeah we don't know how people voted and so everyone relies on exit polls and the exit polls i think are um questionable at least because they show a majority of white women um again voting for trump and uh, you know while that may have been the case i find it very hard to reconcile that proposition with the other proposition that, that women in the suburbs mainly white women um, helped deliver victory to Trump, to Trump, uh, to the other proposition that young people turned out in enormous numbers and, uh, you know, a very large number of those young people are white women. Um, so when you add up all these blocks of people who helped uh, Biden to his victory, um, many of whom were white women, I don't know how you square that uh, with the thing, the other proposition that the majority of white women voted for Trump. So laying that to one side, um, I think no one's arguing that the majority of black women, of course, the vast majority of black women voted for, for Biden. And, uh, you know, women of colour, particularly African-American women, have been stalwarts of the Democratic Party for a very long time. Um, and they are particularly fond of Biden because of his long history of uh, relationships with, with, with some of those communities. 
So their their votes are very important, and I think that's that has shown itself in the fact that um, when Biden committed to having a female vice president, there was tremendous pressure put on him to say and say that that woman must be a woman of colour, and he um, you know he acceded to that, and in the end, he's only he only considered women of colour. And as it turned out, you know, there were about 10 different women that he could choose from. There was a terrific list of qualified women. Um, and the same thing is happening now with some of his cabinet picks. There's tremendous pressure being put on him to choose um, people of colour, and they're going to be mostly men, I think, when it comes to Pentagon and some of the other big jobs. Um, but no, I think the women of, women, um, of colour who supported him expect to be represented in the government and I think uh, on the um, results so far and the nominations so far looking at the White House economics team for uh, sorry the communications team for instance and looking at the vice president herself uh, women of color are being uh, very well represented in this administration well finally how optimistic are you feeling about the future of America and the rippling effect that this administration change might have internationally especially for for close foreign allies like Australia um well they're two very separate questions i mean i think the um obviously the biden administration has you know already moved to um reinstate um diplomacy and uh, as a, and and to to reach out to other countries, particularly other democracies, um, including Australia, they've been, um, you know, already. I think Jake Sullivan, who's the national security advisor, has been commenting today about this dust-up with China. Um, so they're not even waiting until uh, the inauguration before they're they're engaging uh, with with the allies. And I think that the um, the allies, particularly in Europe and and Australia and other close countries. Um, close former friends, friends of the United States will be very relieved by that. But I think that that is quite separate um, from the question about, you know, what's happening uh, within the United States and whether or not the the uh, incredible um, divisions within that country can be resolved. Um, you know, we have 73 million people who voted for Trump and many of whom are refusing to concede um, along with the, you know, the fact that Trump himself is egging them on and urging them to to keep on fighting the right. the last war, and and this is uh, so I think the chance of of repairing the the, the brokenness, if you like, of America, uh, of is going to be very very tough. I mean, it's a very very difficult um, prospect that 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 um, that Biden's going to be facing, and and I'm not quite sure how he's going to go about addressing it. He obviously has to, and I'm sure he knows that. Um, in some ways, I think you'll find the foreign policy much easier than domestic policy. And Summers, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us in Fourth Estate. Okay. I enjoyed it. Thanks, thanks, Tina. That was author and journalist Anne Summers. And thanks for listening to Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. 
Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Tina Quinn. Thanks for listening.